This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery. Bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> I've missed that music. Hello and a very warm welcome to the first Total Saints podcast of 2022. Happy New Year. I'm Martin Clark and I'm joined by our panel of Saints experts to discuss this in a busy couple of weeks supporting Southampton Football Club. We're streaming this episode of PSB Live on our Facebook and our Twitter pages and it's also available on our YouTube channel. Now if you're watching live on Facebook or YouTube, you can get involved in the conversation using the comments section. It's always lovely to hear from you. Coming up this week on the podcast, reaction to the Newcastle game being postponed. We'll also look back at the festive fixtures with West Ham and Tottenham. And we'll preview the FA Cup third round tie with Swansea. But first of all, let me introduce you to our regular TSP guests. Steve Grant is the owner of Saints Web, which is the independent Southampton FC website. Steve is still in Dubai. So how's the Christmas been over there, Steve? It's, uh, well, very different um, in that I got to spend it on the beach in rain in the on Sunshine christmas day Church. by the way no no christmas christmas day was fine um it was, no, it was over, over new year we've 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 basically had an entire year's worth of rain in um in space of two days so um yeah <laughs> all you climate climate change people there's there's one for you it's uh yeah that was it, it's been it's been different but um no good fun and a decent firework display for new year's eve that looked good yeah it was good um yeah went down to the the sort of shopping shopping center and restaurants and stuff all on the all on the coast sort of out looking to the um to the sort of fairly famous atlantis hotel where Very they nice. do where they do all the all the fireworks from from over there so you're about probably about probably 500 yards away i guess um that's kind of probably about the perfect distance um to sort of see across the water for it it's um that's no, good very good. Uh, Glenda Lacour is the writer of League One Minus 10. That's the weekly Saints blog. How was your Christmas and New Year, Glenn? Uh, relatively quiet and, uh, yeah, didn't do a great deal. Didn't go out on New Year, mainly because I hate, hate people. Uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing to do with, you know, COVID or anything like that. I just hate people. Um, I was the taxi service for my kids. Who, uh, and that that was that was quite entertaining because they were all absolutely ruined. So it was just it was just quite quite funny. Um, the next day was amusing as well. But uh, I leave that to your imaginations. But no, Christmas just saw me saw me folks and my sister and uh, yeah, re- relatively quiet. But uh, yeah, good. saving it up for next year, hopefully. 
Good to have you with us. Uh, also, Dan Sheldon is the Athletics' dedicated Saints reporter. Busy time of the year for you, Dan, with the games, or did you enjoy a day off on Sunday? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, a day off on the Sunday for sure. No, I was actually managed to get some time off over Christmas. So I went away with my girlfriend to where she's from in Poland. So didn't come back until the 27th. And then obviously did the Tottenham game, expected to do the, the Newcastle game, which I'm sure we'll touch on but uh, didn't get to that one. So Good to have you back, though. Uh, the biggest hello and thank you is reserved to our patrons wherever you might be listening or watching this week. A big hello and welcome to episode 181 of the Total Saints podcast. This is the Total Saints podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenda LaCour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Now, Saints' home game against Newcastle was postponed due to coronavirus cases and injuries in the visitors' camp. So instead of a game at St Mary's on Sunday, we were all reduced to ranting about the decision in various WhatsApp groups and on social media. Do you want to start, Glenn? What did you make of it all? <laughs> Deep breath. Um, here we go. <laughs> Keep it clean. Have we, got, have we got the swear beat ready? <laughs> yeah, yeah, here we go. Right, OK. Um, uh, I have a few problems with it. I have a view. The, the first problem I have with it is Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe picked up the two injuries in the game they played against Manchester United. Immediately after the game, he was talking about getting the next game called off. Now, if you're a football manager, the first thing you think of when your centre forward gets injured is, okay, or in his case, he should have been thinking, okay, I'll put Joe Linton up front next week and I'll bring someone else into midfield or whatever. But he was talking immediately about getting the getting their next game, which was against Everton, called off. So I, I have a problem that he was kind of verbalising that immediately after the um, the Manchester United game. I have a problem that injuries are included in the count. That's that's absurd. Integrity of the league. We know the, the Premier League don't care about that. They've no, there's no integrity in the league. They don't care. They don't care. We know that. Um, we were talking about it, you know, the way they cram fixtures together and some teams get longer time off, all that sort of stuff. So uh, they're not going to be remotely bothered if... Callum Wilson, for example, is fit for the return game. They they won't care if Newcastle have signed Aubameyang on loan, which is one of the more absurd rumours I've seen today. And he scores a hat-trick against us. They, they won't care. The thing I do not understand is why the Premier League have made it so relatively easy for games to be called off. I don't see where the advantage is in that. So that that's one that maybe maybe the, you guys have got have got some idea about. I I don't understand why it's. I mean, there's been 18 games called off. To my mind, in the Premier League, there should be none. I think Steve said earlier on in the week that Newcastle have got something like 65 players registered mm. to play in the Premier League, and it's not just Newcastle we're talking about. Let's be honest. It's um, it's other teams who've done it as well. I, if I'm being real conspiracy theorist about it, I didn't have a problem too much with Brentford at the time when they called their game off. And until I saw that they they played Manchester City last week with what was an extremely patched up team. To me, I was thinking it's almost as like they knew they were going to lose to Man City anyway. So it doesn't matter who they put out against them. Whereas Southampton is a, is a chance for three points. So it would be very convenient to get that one called off. I also like the way that on social media, Newcastle fans, because they've all become entitled now um they're reacting like it's our fault for complaining and like we're being unreasonable and then that seems to be a, a a thing that follows when uh teams suddenly come into a lot of money and you have to remind yourself that the average idiot on twitter is not representative of the um of the entire fan base so uh yeah so well, newcastle um, so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um i mean but i found the i know steve did as well we found the premier league statement quite interesting that the 
that you know they said they don't have information they don't have specific information yeah on who's injured and who's got covid well that means that they can't possibly restrict them from picking players in the in a in a you know in a rearranged game so yeah lots of lots of issues with it but we are where we are and uh, I think Ralph's kind of shrugged his shoulders and said well there's nothing much we can do about it and I, I guess there isn't but you know full well that we'll we'll get beat in the rearranged game now there's there's lots of bits to pick out Steve I've got that Premier League statement it says the board accepted the postponement application as the club does not have the required number of players available for the match which is 13 outfield players and one goalkeeper that's rubbish right well it depends what criteria you use I mean if they're now I mean there's because when they when they first said that we'll we'll listen to listen to requests where the situation dictates. They kind of just said, oh yeah, the rules will be if you've got 13 outfielders and a goalkeeper, then you're expected to play. Um, But they've since in, I don't know whether they've said it officially or whether they've just kind of issued a directive to journalists to kind of push this out there and say, actually the, the, the proper criteria are actually these these players have got to have at least um, featured for the first team um, in order to count towards the, the quota but yeah i mean it's it's nonsense isn't it i mean let's let's wind the clock back if we um i mean with sort of gritted teeth 11 months to the start of february yeah um where saints have got nine senior outfield players available and we go to old trafford and get humped i mean did we i mean i don't even know if we even asked the question because we didn't think it wasn't a thing was it no you you just you you have to deal with injuries and everyone every Every club has got a 25-man squad that they register, plus all the under-21s that you can that you that you can throw a stick at, and that was that was that. And we and we went out there and we we played the game. Obviously, now that game would be called off immediately. There would be mm. there would be absolutely no questions asked. It would be put the application in. Here's the list of all the players unavailable. This is this is what we've got. And Premier League would be yep, no problem. Um, game's off. We'll we'll rearrange it for a later date. Um, so it's I mean it's absolute nonsense and. The fact that Newcastle have been so brazen, as as Glenn said, with Eddie Howe kind of preempting it, even like three or four days in advance, it's like, well, mm. I mean, anybody who's from Newcastle and is travelling down for the game, I mean, you might as well claim a refund for your hotel and um, and train fare now because you ain't that. It's very clear that, that club's got no intention of turning up for that game. Yeah, and it's it's just a load of nonsense. I mean, all that's going to happen now is obviously every 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 team who feels they've been slighted by them. I mean, weirdly, despite the fact it's Newcastle and they're as things stand still a load of absolute rubbish, um, teams are going to be raising their game against them. Yeah. There's a psychological thing there of I mean, the fan bases are definitely going to want to beat them because of because of the inconvenience that they've that they've been put through, and the players are going to are going to want it as well because they they were they were ready to play and 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 we. I mean, as we'll come on to, we've been in been in good nick the last last mm. couple of weeks. There's an interesting thing there as well about post-COVID and how clubs might deal with injuries. And as you say, that match back in February that we don't really want to talk about, how that wouldn't have gone ahead um, given the current rules. So that, that'd be an interesting one to look at next year. Dan, you're often the voice of reason on this. Help us out. Is there is there an argument? Can you can you support it? Can you see why it happened? Or is it um, about the integrity of the league, as, as Glenn says? And does it just stink? I think I, like many, the minute Wilson and St. Maximum went down and then Eddie, Eddie came out and started talking about oh, all these cases they have and they need games called off, you immediately think then, well, the game's not going to go ahead at the weekend. And when, once the Everton game was called off, it was fairly obvious the um, Southampton game was going to get called off. And what what frustrates me, I think, even as a neutral, is 
this shouldn't be about injuries. This should only be about COVID cases, as far as I'm concerned. Injuries shouldn't be brought into it. Teams have injuries all the time. And they're not asking to get games called off because they've got injured players. It's And there's just no transparency. How many injuries and how many COVID cases have they got? If they've got one COVID case and 10 injuries, tough. That's just it. You know, If they had, for example, 10 COVID cases and two injuries, I'd say fair enough. But that's where there's no transparency and that's the problem. So Southampton themselves, they have no idea, you know, how many COVID cases and how many injuries that Newcastle have got. They can, you know, speak to various people, agents, whoever, who may have injuries at Newcastle and find out. But even then, it's not going to be definitive. So I could, I could sense the frustration building up within the club pretty much as soon as the Everton game got called off, to be honest, because, and Ralph, I thought, was he was asked about it on um, Tuesday after the Tottenham game. He said, oh, there's a suggestion that Newcastle want the Everton game called off. And just like deadpan, he was like, uh, you know, I think it was um, COVID ca- injuries aren't COVID cases or COVID cases aren't injuries. I can't remember which way around it was. but mm. And that was his point. And that, that point still sticks. And it's the injuries that rankles with Ralph. You know, he would understand COVID, but it's the injuries part, which I think not many people can understand. It just, even I find it kind of baffling that they've managed to do this. And Glenn mentioned Brentford. I mean, Brentford chucked that game in because their goalkeeper wasn't fit. They were going to have to field an 18-year-old goalkeeper. And that's why that game got called off, basically, because it was like, well, the last thing we want is to go there with a, with a kid in goal who's never played. For Southampton, I, I wrote a column on this uh, on The Athletic today. And you know, they got to this stage last year, as Steve said, and went into the new year. They had, I think, Alex McCarthy was positive of COVID. Now, I think Ings got it after the Liverpool game. And then they had so many injuries. So... They deliberately thought, okay, well, we're going to add some depth. When it comes to this time next year, 2021, 2022, we'll take advantage of those teams that are now struggling because they've not got the depth that that we may have. So they they did all of the recruiting and so on. And it really counts for nothing now because the two games they could have taken advantage, Brentford and Newcastle, they will now play those teams when they've got full strength 11s. And, you know, Harry Kane, for example, may be lining up for Newcastle. Unlikely, but it could happen. So no, I I kind of, with the other two, to be honest, I, I... I think it stinks. Um, I think the the Premier League are in a situation now where they've just got to bury their head in the sand, keep burying themselves even deeper until the end of the season when they can sit down and possibly change it because it wouldn't be fair to change the rules now because you've already set you've already gone down this road. So they have to stick with it as, as daft as it may be until the end of the season. And then they need to look at it and think, right, okay, well, how do we learn from this? Because it was a bit of a shambles. They're going to have and, to change it. They're going to have to change it though because sooner or later, we're going to run out of spare midweeks. All you're supposed to do is you, you, effect, you effectively penalise the... I mean, the way they've got to do it is you you put, put the schedule together for the benefit of those who didn't call the games off. So the teams that had the squads available... Okay, those those teams. Okay, they're going to have to play one midweek game a week for I don't know three or four weeks, maybe um, at some point in the middle of the season. Um, Newcastle, if they if they want to cancel five games, tough, right? You play right. You you've got a game. You've got now got a, a two week spell where you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday, and you've you've got to make make up the fixtures. It was your fault they were cancelled. So tough. Kind of on a sort of related matter. I wonder what the broadcasters think of it. Given that obviously they've reclaimed a significant amount of rebate from from the Premier League, which I'm not sure the clubs were overly happy with in terms of the way the Premier League dealt with that, and presumably the the broadcasters are going to think, well, hang on, we got we got some money back the last time. I don't, we I mean we we wanted these games to be shown on a on a Sunday at half past four, 
prime prime sort of football viewing time and yet now we're going to be stuck showing um saints against newcastle on a on a tuesday evening when quite frankly no nobody's really going to um going to care that much well, this, this, so, feeds in, this feeds into my thing about why the premier league have made it relatively easy to get games called off because i see absolutely no advantages the broadcasters are going to kick off there's going to be fixture congestion it's bad you know yeah. it, 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 it just doesn't make sense one, palace on boxing day they applied to the premier league to get their game on boxing day postponed at 3 a.m and the they morning. had am i right in thinking they had they one two, change they, made, they, they made two changes i think and two it was changes. a hamstring injury wasn't it it wasn't even COVID. so it just shows that the system i mean of course that game went ahead but it's so easy to be exploited and look i made this point again in my column let's not kid ourselves if it suited southampton to get a game called off they would be getting a game called off if they could i think that should be said i think but you know as i spoke to someone within the club the other day you know they could have chucked the towel in and got a game called off when Forster and McCarthy are out, but they thought, oh no, we're going to sign Caballero and weird because Ralph's kind of mantra is, nope, let's just get on with it. Let's just crack yeah. on. It is what it is. We, we, we move on. They made the effort to sign a goalkeeper. Jack Stevens returning from isolation, trained on Friday. He didn't need to train on Friday now. There was a suggestion that it could have been because he'd just come back, you know, he probably could have done with a lighter session, but they took that risk because they just thought, no, we get on with it. You know, we make of what we've got and we get on with it. You know, we're not going to have Salasu and so on. And that's the bit that I think kind of rankles. And if it was all COVID cases, you'd just say, okay, like whatever you're doing, you're obviously doing something wrong. Like for example, Southampton, their team meeting took place outside on Friday. You know, it was rubbish weather. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for footballers that have to do a three hour day and sit in the rain for a little bit to have a meeting. But, you know, they're doing all they can to avoid COVID cases. And, you know, they're preparing in the right way. And then a team can essentially just say, don't want to play this weekend. Meanwhile, meanwhile Leicester's, Leicester's entire starts. first team squad turns up at the Alexandra Palace. So what's Brendan Rodgers, who is so critical about kind of player welfare and such at the moment, what's he going to say to his players now that, you know, have been at the darts, which, you know, I mean, I have no idea if there's any kind of data from that. Well, quite, quite, a few like the player, bomb, quite a few players so. pulled out during the tournament, having, mm. turned, having returned positive cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can I totally can understand Southampton's frustration, and realistically, what can they do about it? Not a lot. I'd read a, I'd read a few places like about that they lodged a complaint. That's not the information I'd had. That's not my understanding. They've certainly made their feelings known, but as far as I'm led to believe, that's kind of as far as it's gone. There's been no kind of official complaint or or anything like that. We're, we're quite point? we're quite weak with that sort of thing, though, aren't we? I mean, I just think go back. The point, go, really? go back. Well, yeah. I mean, there yeah. there is there is that kind of thing. But go back to the Virgil Van Dyke transfer. We we put a prop put official complaint in for for his for the blatant tapping up that Liverpool had done, um, flying him on that private jet all the way up to Blackpool to meet Jurgen Klopp. And and yet, as soon as the um, as soon as the transfer goes through, we with, withdraw that complaint. If we'd held that complaint and followed through with that, I mean, that was an open and shut case. And Liverpool were already under a embargo for signing youth players in similar clandestine um, situations. And they'd have, the FA would, the FA and the Premier League would have had to have absolutely hammered them. And then Liverpool would almost certainly wouldn't have won the title they won um, two years ago. A um, couple of other bits on this, um, Glenn. You were talking about, and we have been talking about, making any new signings ineligible or forcing them to sit out. Is that just talk of the moment? Is that sour grapes on our part? It, it's not going to happen. Are we going to feel differently in a week? I don't think there's a precedent for that happening. I mean, the, the transfer window well, there, is there rough. There is for cup ties, though. Yeah, there is, so there is for cup ties. it is ties. the fairest thing to do. Mm. Yeah. So if if you if you're not registered for the for the original cup tie and you then sign a player 
between there and when the rearranged game turn, um, gets played, that that new signing isn't isn't eligible. Yeah, I think so. it it creates a massive issue personally because I mean I I don't know what would happen in that scenario, but if you know a team were relegated because a, a team that threw the towel and then went and signed ten new players all happened to be the best players in the world and were relegated because they lost to I don't know a goal that was scored by a player that wouldn't have played that match when it was supposed to go on. I mean, is there a legal avenue there? I I have no idea, but you wouldn't be surprised. I think it's right. massively unfair. It, massively it is, unfair. but it goes back. I don't think that they don't care. They, they don't care about integrity issues. Yeah, they might do if they got sued. I mean, think back to the, the Carlos Tevez Mascarano that's, thing. That's, that's with, the one example I was trying to think with, of. Yeah. West Ham and Sheffield, Sheffield United. Yeah. Uh, you know, did, I think Sheffield United got some money out of West Ham, didn't it was, they? But, but that, was a, that was a civil case, not a... Yeah, it didn't go through the Premier League or anything like that. No. No, I guess so. it depends what other cases, what other games get called off. At the moment, it, you know, we've got a, a really good case. We've been arguing about it for for twenty minutes now. There might be others. It just needs one of the the top six, I think, to be in a, a similar position. George agrees with us. He says exactly um, what we're saying. Why should games ever be postponed for COVID cases? Surely it's the club's responsibility to keep their players safe and well. And if they haven't, then it's tough. And I think, as you said, Dan, today the players are even changing in the car, aren't they? That's how seriously they're taking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. Yeah, Southampton <laughs> in there, but even then, that's still. You know, they're still getting positive tests at Southampton. But Shea Adams, wasn't it? Yeah. They are taking it to like the nth degree to ensure that they don't. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I think. I, I think if a, if a club, if a club gets so many cases that like they have to shut the training ground for a couple of days, as Man United did um, before Christmas, then, yeah, I've, I've got to be honest, I've got no particular issue with them calling off the, the game immediately after that, because you've had no you've had no mm-hmm. training time. Hmm. Um, so you're probably causing injuries in that situation, forcing forcing them to play. But I think if you're if you're still training, but you've just got loads of injured players, a Newcastle situation basically all all these players are picking up injuries because um, Eddie Howe's actually making these lot run. Um, I, I just yeah, think, exactly. This is it. I mean, yeah. that Man United game, they were they were all dead on their feet up with about 25 minutes to go. There just needs to be transparency. I think that's all there needs to be. There needs to be that. When, I don't know, if let's say Newcastle got the game called off, there needs to be in the statement a breakdown, right? Okay, seven players from the the first team tested positive, 10 staff members tested positive. Because all of at the minute, it all rolls into one. So you could be, you know, an employee at Newcastle who is part of the testing bubble that might just be in their communications department. You would class as a positive case at Newcastle, even though you've got nothing to do with the kind of first team the training or the playing, you're still a positive case. So I just mm. think there needs to be a an actual breakdown. So if just this needs to be transparent and fans yeah. might then understand it more, but there's not. It's just the whole, we don't know the specifics. We're not going to tell you the specifics. Well, so yeah. no one knows why it's been called off then. Is it because I'd, they I'd be, play I'd, be all in, I'd be all in favour of this NFL style um, injury report. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every club, every day has to release a report yeah. of who's who's injured, yeah. who's who's yeah. available, who's kind of doubtful for the forthcoming game, this sort of thing. But the NFL and miles it, ahead it, in it so would, many departments. Yeah. So it would departments. certainly make picking a fantasy football team a bit easier, that's for sure. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on is the five subs, because that's um, something which has been going around at the moment again, as it always does when you get these the COVID cases. Pep Guardiola has been... He I won't think use there, three subs. So I think there are four... Is it four instances? I'm not right in saying there's four instances where a manager's not made a single sub in the Premier League and it's him. He's responsible for two of those games and now he's quite vocal about the, the five subs. Is that an option, do you think, Steve? Do you think that's still on the table? Um, I hope not. And I, I, I find it 
slightly odd that Ralph is actually has actually come out very much in favour of going to five subs because I don't see how that possibly helps us from a from a selfish perspective or or indeed any any club beyond the the top five or six really because we don't have we don't have the ability to bring while our our bench is is now largely full of first team actual first team players as opposed to dipping into the under 23s for someone to fill a um to fill a seat we're not at the level where we can i mean man city left phil foden out of their entire match day squad hmm. um for the for the arsenal game and it's like i mean we we we're, we're not ever going to be in a situation where we can leave a 50 million pound player um sat at home for a, for a game just because well we've 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 got too many so yeah you can, you can have a few days off mate of course the other thing glenn is that um we're talking about it as if newcastle are actually going to sign some decent players in january and that might not be the case because there's lots of talk uh, I mean, some of it in the daily mirror for example but um a lot of talk about who they might sign but you still got to convince them to go to newcastle and play so it, it... well yeah uh, to be honest who they sign ain't really the issue for me i mean you you play a team at the start of the season they've got one squad you play a team the second time they've got another squad that's that's life it's extreme this year mm. because it's newcastle because they've had a takeover in the first half of the season so you expect them to have different players but but yeah i mean we you know they're not they're not going to be signing mbappe or harry kane are they, no, they you know there's not an issue if, if they sign players i mean i think newcastle are a massive club it'll be great to go and see them sign top players and you know get back up the table but those top players should not be allowed to play in games that have been called off that they were not at the club. That would be my, if they'd signed Mbappe on January the 1st, fine, he can play. But if they were to then go and sign Mbappe on January the 3rd, that is when I'd have an issue with it because it, I just don't think it is fair on the competition. It just, Where's the fairness in that? Let's talk about the games that did go ahead, which seems like a long time ago now, to be honest. Three goals on the road at the London Stadium. A nice, unexpected three points there, Steve. None of us predicted that. I mean, we never get them right anyway, but I don't think any of us thought we were going to win at the London Stadium. So that was a nice surprise. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a, it's a strange, strange situation, isn't it? That basically every game that, that we've played at that ground, the winning team has scored three. Hmm. And it's... Yeah, particularly odd given that we'd. I mean, we we were we were decent at, at Palace, weren't we? But in the in the run before that, we were we were looking just fr- just frustrating more than anything, which has kind of kind of been our I suppose our default setting all season, really. But yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone expected us to go go to a ground where a we have a terrible record and where b you're actually coming up against a, a genuinely good West Ham team at the moment and to beat them. And to be honest. I mean, the, while the scoreline looks close, I think we were we were comfortably the better side in that game, and it was only for a couple of our predictable sort of defensive lapses that that West Ham even made it close. I think. I was going to say some typical Saints defending, but a change of formation, Glenn, and uh, some surprise around the starting lineup. I don't. I knew we we talked about him shuffling the pack and having to make the most of that squad depth because we thought there were more games coming. But I don't think any of us would have called that that formation and that lineup. It was interesting because when the you know when you see the list of eleven players, you obviously don't know what the formation is going to be, and you is it going to be Walcott up front? Is it going to be Redmond up front? And 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 ultimately, it's a four-one-four-one formation with um, Elianusi in the centre of midfield, really next to next to Ward Prowse, and it it worked really well. We we won the game because we scored goals at the right times. We t- we took advantage of the the dominance we had early in the game. It's a brilliant goal by Elianusi. They've they've I think Saints have actually put the footage up of the move when it started which and, you know and it starts right at the back and we go forward backwards all the way around and eventually score a goal and it's a it, it's a brilliant goal but the, the key to winning the game was reacting the way we did to West Ham's goals yes both both of their goals were poor from our point of view but 
you know, winning the penalty straight after Antonio's goal. And when West Ham came back to two all, I was just thinking we're going to lose this three two now. Mm. But we scored again <laughs> within a couple of minutes, and and from you know, and from that moment on, we had something to hold on to, and we didn't ever really look like letting a goal in. And and it was it was a relatively comfortable watch, which you can't say often when Saints are winning with twenty minutes to go. It, I didn't expect West Ham to score, whereas quite often when you're watching Saints in the last twenty, you can just you know every time they get over the halfway line, you can you can see it happening. But but we we looked solid. Um, that started with the goalkeeper. He had one sort of flappy punch up in the air, didn't he, Fraser? But uh, but he played well there, um, and it's it's nice to get a win at one of our uh, one of our graveyard grounds. And uh, yeah, hopefully um, hopefully we can uh, pick up a few more unexpected points over the next few weeks. Yeah, it was uh, was a great game. Tottenham was the the next game. Um, can you believe it? A goal from a from a Salazu long throw. That's because we were talking about that last week, Steve. <laughs> I think yeah, um, because because we were saying nothing ever happens. We never score, and then of course, as soon as he took it, you're watching it thinking this is going to be the one. Best thing is I don't, I don't don't know if you've seen it on Twitter, but um, a lad I know called um, Sean Stroud. He he he's had similar thoughts and posted it on Twitter um, quite a lot over the past sort of month or so. And for for whatever reason, he decided right sod it. I'm going to film this. This terrible long throw just to illustrate how bad we are at these and how futile this exercise is and obviously he's filmed the goal <laughs> <laughs> like, just absolutely ridiculous um but yeah it was i mean let's let's be honest it still wasn't a very good throw <laughs> and it's it, and it's and and it's hit it's hit Deli Ali in the in the stomach and then on onto his shin or something and it's fallen fallen nicely I mean that that the technique in Prowse's shot though yeah. is uh, is something else I mean the keeper's got no chance because he's got four he's got four defenders literally stood in front of him um so he's rea- he's but I mean Lloris has basically reacted to it after it's gone past him so he's got just no chance at all um but the way it just kind of fades away to the right to sort of nestle in the side nettings uh absolutely top quality. What impressed you the most about that second half, Dan? I don't think we've got any complaints about the red card and, and Salazu getting sent off for that second yellow, but it wasn't what we were expecting that second half. I don't know where that performance came from. No, it, it was really impressive. I think both halves were equally impressive, but for different reasons. Just we haven't seen for a team that since Ralph has come in, you know, drop points all the time from winning positions. And yes, they did drop points from a winning position, but it just felt a little bit different against Tottenham because no one really expected them to win that game anyway. And with the Tottenham, the, the quality that Tottenham had on the pitch, yes, Southampton definitely rode their luck in the second half, I thought, in, in a big way. I mean, <laughs> the, the goal, I, the offside, I mean, I'm not so sure. I've seen that a few times. And I still don't think it's offside. But those decisions have gone against Southampton, so it's about time that they got one their way. The Fraser forced to one. I think he's not given that because it's just so weird. <laughs> like it's just it just looked odd. I, I don't really think the Tottenham players done too much wrong in that situation, but because it's just a weird looking goal, it, it, I, I don't know. I just thought that's probably one of the reasons why they're not going to overturn it. But just the way they kind of dug in with 10 men, even at the end, you know, they still created chances like the Brozier one at the end. And then just as the referee blew his whistle for full time, there were like three Saints players running forward towards the goal with no Tottenham players anywhere to be seen. So that was a, a shame for the, the whistle to be blown there. But it, it just meant a lot for the mentality, I think, that, you know, OK, we, we haven't won from a winning position, but this is a good team. They're going to be up there for the top four. And we've managed to, you know, not lose this game 3-1 or 4-1 after going down to 10 men. And as you said, I think no one's going to be complaining about the red card because it was mm. an obvious red card. But one highlight of the, the Newcastle postponement is that obviously gets shifted onto the FA Cup game now. So Salas will be back 
for the for the next Premier League match. So yeah, so will Walker yeah. Peters, won't he? No, he doesn't. No, no, Walker Peters you know, will, Premier will still League, be yeah. Premier League. Oh, right. okay. yeah. yeah, the book the bookings one, which is incredibly a, weird. A same, still, yeah. yeah, same yeah. competition thing. I mean, it must be an absolute nightmare if you're club secretary for a for a non-league club who has to deal with all this because the the whole. Um, bookings in the FA Cup things a relatively new thing it only came in I think two or three years ago and so you so you had a raft of players who like in early preliminary rounds had been had been sent off in a oh sorry they, they picked up bookings in in the early rounds of the FA Cup were actually banned for for the next round but thought that they were thought they were eligible having served a suspension in a league game um so you end up with all these all these teams in early preliminary rounds getting kicked out of the competition because the they feel ineligible players. players, yeah, it's 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 nuts. Um, Glenn uh, Dan mentioned uh, Fraser Forster and that goal being ruled out. Was uh, did we get away with one there? Do you think ninety nine times out of hundred that gets disallowed because it's mm. a it's a challenge on the goalkeeper. Yeah. It's it's one of those that I shrug my shoulders and go, well, that would have that would have been disallowed if it had been up the other end, and we'd have all gone mental about it and moaned about how goalkeepers are overprotected. It's just a fact that that's the way it is. I mean, if it was. If it was two teams I didn't care about, I'd be saying that should be a goal, but it, but it mm. never is. So, yeah, we did get away with it a little bit, but we got away with the offside one more because, you know, as we know, these this season, those close ones are, are supposed to be given, basically. And they're certainly... But the, the, yeah, but the, yeah. because, because the, basically, because the lines aren't touching... That means yeah. that it's it's wide enough for them to for them to flag yeah. it. One thing I didn't actually, um, one thing I only noticed this week actually, looking at the um, stills from that one, and I think it was Foden's goal for City, the goal for City at, away at Brentford, yeah, where Foden was ruled onside, was and and this is something they've never, as far as I'm aware, they've never actually explained on the broadcast, and this has confused people with games where teams play in red and blue, um, opposite teams um so obviously Saints Spurs being a prime example where Saints are in red and white Spurs are in this blue and purple and all kinds of other colors of the rainbow and it, it proper weird vomit looking thing um <laughs> I think that's how they and, describe it on the website actually yeah and and so what what they've never explained actually is that the blue line is always for the is always the defensive line blue blue is always for the defense even if the team defending is in red and then the the second line is drawn either in red or green, depending on whether he's on or offside. They've never explained this. I never so knew you, that, Steve. You're blowing so, my mind. So you have, so you have all of these Spurs fans who are going absolutely mental because <laughs> what they've what they've seen on the TV is that the blue line is further away from the Saints' goal than the red line. So they automatically think, well, it's the blue line. He's he's on. He's clearly onside here. They've got it wrong. There's a there's a there's a fault in VAR. Whereas actually, no, they've got it completely right. It's just nobody's ever explained explained the lines properly. Well, thank you for explaining it because I certainly didn't know that. So I've learned something tonight. Glenn, I just wanted to just have a quick chat about Harry Kane because I know you picked up on this and <laughs> the fact that he was in the ref's ear all oh, match, wasn't he? Oh, man. Well, Salisu got, got sent off and I think we can largely agree that having got booked, he, he had to go. Salisu, he steams into every tackle he goes for. Hmm. So if he doesn't make contact with the ball... It's very rarely there's going to be a foul where the referee's not at least thinking about booking him. And he'd done two of those before he got the third one. But, you know, the the third one, he which, which was pretty, pretty lame in isolation. But I think he got booked as much for totting up as everything. But it was the it was the perfect Tottenham booking. So there's the merest of contact. The guy, and they've got a few of them, just rolled around like he'd been shot. Harry Kane gets in the face of the referee straight away. Out comes the yellow card. Now, when you notice it, 
you, it's one of those things you can't unsee. Every single decision where there's any sort of challenge, Harry Kane is around the referee mm. every single time. He never moves that fast when he's on the pitch for England. <laughs> but, but when he, it, it was remarkable how many times he was around the referee. And it, it was um, Bruno Fernandes does it as well for United. And uh, there was that one earlier on the season where Jack Stevens obviously told him to uh, stop mm-hmm. refereeing the game, which, yeah. was, which was actually really funny. That's one of the highlights. It's of the season. That Fernand- Fernandes's performances have um, nosedived ever since. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah, Harry Kane. I, I just found him incredibly irritating. And Spurs as a team. They're, they're horrible to referee. Uh, coincidence or not, I think three out of the last four teams that have played them have had a player sent off. I mean, one of them was Wilfred Zaha, so that, you know, that's always going to happen. But, Doing Zaha things as well. That but, was, I mean, when you look at, look at their team, they've got Son, Kane, Regulong, this Emerson Royale, Deli Alley. They all just collapse with the slightest touch. And even Winks did it. Yeah, they're, mm. they're just, it's just a horrible team to referee. So I do have a, a certain sympathy with Anthony Taylor. And, you know, who knows? Maybe that's why we got away with the, the Fraser Force thing in the second half. Maybe he just got fed up with it. Yeah. I don't know. But, I mean, certainly if I was referee and there was a player in my face the whole time, I'd be sending him on his way with a yellow card because it's just, you know, it's hard enough job as it is. Just get out of my face. Simon got in touch on the website and I think he kind of sums it up. He says, uh, I must say, I was really proud of all the players. Fraser is better at game and time management. Long put in a complete shift. Prousey totally led the team. Valerie put in a shift as well. Adams playing at left back was awesome. I don't think any of us expected that at halftime. Uh, fantastic team spirit. Brilliant from all. And the crowd also played their part. Keep it loud, Saints fans. Thank you, Simon, for getting in touch with that. Swansea next in the FA Cup, which is, I think, a 5.30 kickoff because it's on BBC Wales. Uh, all we know is that we're not going to be staying at the Marriott Hotel in Swansea. Do we know anything else about them, Steve? How's, um, how's this one going to go? The uh, Obviously, the Michael Obafemi derby. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, they've, they've, been a bit, they've been a bit up and down. Um, obviously, lost their manager, what, a week before the season started? Mm-hmm. Um, so, kind of threw them into a bit of chaos. But they've got... Um, so, Russell Martin, they they poached from MK Dons and he's kind of taken trying to take Swansea back to the sort of the old Swansea when back when they were when they were good and they got promoted to the first got promoted to the top flight under Roberto Martinez so they're playing a very sort of nice to watch passing game it does mean they're a little they've got a little bit of a soft underbelly which hopefully is kind of where we're gonna we're gonna kind of just nip in there and and just stamp our authority on the game, and I mean, if Ob- if Obafemi is the best striker, which I mean, let's let's be honest, he isn't because he's not playing that much for him. Um, he's been he's already been called out a couple of times by by Martin for his um, off field lack of professionalism. It's like, well, yeah, I, I think we think we kind of all saw that one coming. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, they're they're a they're a decent side, but one that that even even with the likely five or six changes um, from our from what most of us would perceive as our best starting eleven. I think it should still be enough to uh, to get the job done. Obviously, no replays as well that they've uh, they've decided, which is uh, kind of filling filling the hole that uh, that these COVID um, cases are causing. Useful, Dan. Earlier in the season, we spoke about the cup competitions and how important they were going to be, keeping some of the the backup players happy, if you like. Has COVID changed that, or is it still a chance to to change the whole eleven? I think it's still a chance to to change the eleven. They've got a lot of young players that haven't necessarily played as much as maybe they'd like to this season so yeah for me it's still a a good opportunity for Ralph to rotate the squad rotate take the players out that you know really don't need to play this game and I would include Ward Prowse in that Uh, Mm. I don't think he needs to play 
He won't um, want. To, he'll want to start there, won't he? That's the thing. Oh, probably, yeah. But then I think at, at times, if you're Ralph, you just got to say, "Look, sorry, I know you love starting, but there's no. You don't need to start this one. You know, start Diallo instead, or or something along those lines." Then you've got players obviously coming back from from COVID. So Lianco, I'm, I think he should be okay to make it. I think depending on when he caught it, Stevens. These are the players you probably want to get back out there, give them a few minutes, and then obviously you've got Brentford. So the way I would probably view the Swansea game is kind of put a lot of the youngsters in, but also some of the ex- more experienced ones that haven't played so much recently, just to kind of get them some minutes before that rearranged game against Brentford, because they have three games in a week again, don't they? So mm. you want to get some kind of gas in their lungs for those games. The other thing I wanted to talk about before we finish was Sam McQueen, the academy graduate who's opened up about his retirement. 26 years old, he announced his retirement on New Year's Day. It's been three years on the sideline. He had that awful knee ligament injury back in, I think it was 2018. Glenn, you've written a nice blog about this. We kind of feared the worst, but it's still sad to hear. Yeah, it is. It's not surprising. It, but, the, you know, the, the interview uh, with him, the little film that the, the club put out, was 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 tough to watch. Um, it's, I think... When someone is a professional footballer, there's this there's this sort of image around them that they've all got lots of money and they're financially set for life. And, and whether that's true or not, I, I don't think I think people tend not to be very sympathetic. And it, it's it was I found it really tough to watch because he's he's a Southampton lad. He was born in the city. He's been at the club since he was eight or something. Um, and he's he's come through and he's he's played in. It was interesting looking at the the blogs that he he played both games against Inter. And he played the, the Swansea away game where we won to stay up. And so that's three of our sort of most significant games over the last, probably in the last sort of 15 years. And and he's, he's played in all of those. So he's, he's had some good moments. As, as a player, he was one that, you know, I was looking to see how he, I was looking forward to seeing how he develops because he was, he was a winger. He became a fullback. He was very good going forward, struggled a bit defensively at times, but he was getting better. You know, he got in the England under 21 side, got a cap there. Um, he was in front of Matt Target for a while as our sort of backup left back to, to Ryan Bertrand, you know, and we ended up selling target for 14 million. So, you know, from the outside, you could say he's achieved quite a bit, but he's got to get his head around the fact that, you know, he's not achieved what he, you know, he's probably not achieved what he wanted to achieve in the game and obviously finishing probably 10 years earlier than he originally intended. It's uh, that's, that's got, got to be a hard thing to get his head around. It's just a, it's just a real shame when it, when it happens. And it, um, it's, it's worse when it happens to someone who's a, who's a local lad who's been with the club a long time. And I, mm. I hope that if he, uh, if he wants to carry on in football, that the, um, in some capacity that the, the club support him in that and no reason to believe that they won't. And the club did all they could, didn't they, Dan? This was um, a bit of an unprecedented case, really, because he'd still been training with them up until recently and using the the doctors and the rehabilitation. No, yeah, they did. They gave him another short-term deal back in the summer up until January to, to again, you know, hopefully get him fit and get give him the chance to to impress Ralph uh, and take it from there. But I just think it's just horribly sad, really, as, as Glenn's already kind of summed it up perfectly, to be honest, I think. You know, you you view footballers, and you may have your kind of preconceived ideas. But you know, I've met and known enough of them to to know they are just normal people. And for someone like him, you know, he would have dreamed ever since he joined Saints at the age of eight. You know, his dream would have been to to play for the club. He's done that. He's played in some big matches for them. But as Glenn said, you know, he's retiring ten years too early. Would he go back and do anything differently? And you know, in that game against when he was playing for Middlesbrough, maybe. But it's just that's just the way that it, it's fallen for him. And Everything I've heard about him, 
is just so positive. You know, a night someone texted me last night saying, you know, a nicer guy you will not meet in football. Mm. And I've never met him, but you know, and then another club contact said, you know, he would have been, you know, he would have been another Ward Prowse. He's that kind of character, brilliant behind the scenes. And it, it's just horribly sad that it, it's ended this way for him. But, you know, in those videos he he described that, you know, he's got a family to think of and ultimately being able to play football with your kid down the park realistically will probably be will mean more to him than playing it on a, on a professional stage. I mean, I don't know that, but I, I'd imagine that as a father that that would be the case. So he's got to think about the rest of his life, not just the next 10 years of, of trying to play football and what would the after effects be on his body if he carried on trying, I guess, is what he'd have to weigh up. So, yeah, he's taking the decision and it's sad. Glenn mentioned a couple of games there, Steve. Are those, those the standout ones for you? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I mean, it's... He's one, he was one of those players, I think, who, when he came in, you didn't necessarily notice an awful lot because he, he, wasn't, he wasn't particularly flash. But then by the same token, he, he never really made any huge glaring mistakes. Um, so he was never one of these sort of players who, who you thought, oh, God, why are we picking him again? Um, why, why is he in the team? But at the same time, there was, it, was, it was quite rare to have a clamour of, oh, got to get got to get McQueen in the team because he'll he'll be a difference maker. He could be a difference maker on his on his day. I mean that um there was a I think it was a Burnley game I think Glenn referenced in um in the blog he put together where I think he might come off the bench at half time and basically just tore through them. Won a won a uh, fairly late penalty I think to um to make the game safe for us. And yeah, he he could have an could have had an impact and yeah, it's obviously obviously a shame the way the way it's all ended because I think the idea of that Middlesbrough loan was that it was gonna it was more a case of getting him some minutes under his belt. The game time, wasn't getting, it? Yeah, yeah, because he, he wasn't wasn't getting a game understandably behind the likes of um, since we were out of Europe, sort of behind the likes of Tadic and I mean even even the, the strikers we were we were often playing. Obviously Shane Long played out wide quite a lot and and things like that. So it was about getting him getting him ready for either kind of having another shot at it probably the next summer or putting him in the shop window for a move elsewhere which i think ultimately that would have probably been the most likely likely outcome i think that just the just the way the way football works it moves on so quickly when you're out when you're out of the game for even even three to six months clubs have to have contingencies and they they make contingencies and they unfortunately people get left behind and, and that's that's been a bit sad it, but it's but it has been good the way the club has has kind of dealt with it and and obviously as as Dan said allowed him to continue to stay stay around the around the club for um for a fairly prolonged period of time after it I, I suspect in in his heart of hearts he knew that um, he knew from a fairly early stage. I think um, after the first kind of um, sort of relapse issue happened, hmm. um, I think that would have been the time where he thought, oh, "God, this is this is a problem." And it's it, one thing that's actually been noticeable. Actually, has been on social media with the the players who wouldn't have played in the team with him. Um, we're all sort of glowing with praise for for the person that he was. Hmm. Um, obviously, none of them seen have really seen him play football properly. So I think that that speaks that speaks volumes for for the the kind of character that he, that he um, that he's been sort of around yeah, Staplewood. Yeah. It, it showed in some of the games that he played as well because he tended to play in games like the you know the second round of the League Cup sort of thing. And back back when Claude was in charge, we used to have those games where the the other senior players who were in the side didn't care. And you could tell they, they couldn't be bothered. And and he was always the best player in those games by a mile because he had, you know, it's the local lad thing or it's just his attitude. He 100% 
every every sort of time he played and that that shone through when I was sort of like looking at it, it he he always you know, he never had a game where you thought, yeah, this guy's not trying. And you couldn't say that about all of them at that time, that's for sure. Because mm. those those two seasons under Claude and Pellegrino, there was there was a few who phoned it in, basically. And and, yeah. and he was never one of those. And I, I think that, that illustrates his attitude um, as well. And again, it just it's um not that you wish it on anybody, but it's 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 never the ones you want it to happen to. Yeah. <laughs> It's dreadfully sad, and uh, and we yeah. wish him well. If you haven't seen the videos and you haven't read uh, Glenn's blog, for example, then it's worth uh, worth checking it out. So uh, before we finish, just time for our weekly patron shouts, and we start with another new signing. So hello to Ray Stacy, who's joined our Bobby Stokes tier this week. Uh, to find out more about becoming a TSP patron and the benefits that come with that, then do check out the website. Thanks as always to our Matt Letizia tier patrons. That's Colt Baker, Dave Ernsberger, Ed Busy, and Phil Cook. Uh, also Nick Reed, who's in our Francis Benali tier. My thanks to Dan, to Steve, and again thank you chaps happy new year and oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we forgot about that yeah, uh, yeah don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you're listening as well uh, on the socials we are at total saints pod that's on twitter and facebook uh, you can drop us an email via the website at any time uh, thank you for listening thank you for watching and happy new year away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.